This is the fourth Sunday of Lent, beginning the fourth week of Lent. Traditionally, this Sunday is called Laetare Sunday. You see in the Missalette, the entrance antiphon to this Mass from Isaiah 66 is Rejoice, Jerusalem. Laetare means rejoice. That's what this rose-colored vestment symbolizes, joy. There's no little box definition of joy in our faith tradition. For me, joy is the experience of having a real encounter with the deepest love of God on this earth. You can be happy and experience joy. You can be really in a terrible situation and experience joy. It's not just about feelings. It's a spiritual reality in which you're fulfilled, in which you're uplifted, in which you're connected with what's eternal. Right now in Ukraine, people are experiencing some of the worst evil and suffering that you can experience on this planet. But a person in the midst of that, for example, could see a child emerge from that theater that Vladimir Putin had bombed. The child comes out and the child is alive. And in the midst of all of this misery, a person can really experience joy just witnessing that because that is God's love breathing in the midst of terrible evil. So joy, everything about our faith lives is supposed to be leading to joy. On this Laetare Sunday, traditionally people who are observing Lent and are observing Lenten disciplines relax them for a day or shake them up for a day just to, among other things, remind ourselves everything we're doing during Lent with all of its seriousness is trying to prepare for joy. We're trying to prepare for the joy of the Easter Triduum three weeks from now, the holiest days of the year, which are going to invite us through God to re-enter the ultimate source of joy. Jesus's passion, death, and resurrection is what ultimately brings us the offer of joy now and joy eternally. It's also just a good reminder this Sunday, whatever I'm doing during Lent, it should be always in the perspective of I'm pursuing joy, turning away from my sin, trying to be a more faithful disciple of Jesus is only ultimately about joy. I hope these readings will encourage you on that. So the first reading is from the book of Joshua in the Old Testament. We've heard on two previous Sundays of Lent references to Moses, the person whom God chooses to be the instrument of God's liberation of our Jewish ancestors from slavery in Egypt. This is 13 centuries before Jesus. Forty years after they're freed from slavery in Egypt, the people of Israel finally enter the promised land, Canaan. So God frees them from slavery, and God directs them to travel through the desert to this land that God promises them. It takes 40 years. It's a really long experience. And now, in the passage that we hear this morning, they're entering the promised land. For me, this is, reading it, their experience of joy. So I'm sure they're happy. That's a feeling that comes and goes. I'm sure that they're relieved. That's also a feeling that comes and goes. The joy part is, I believe, that that experience of going through the desert has been an experience of their encountering God over and over and over again. 
And specifically, it's that they have been very sinful people through those 40 years. They know that God loves them. They know that God has entered into their lives really powerfully. That doesn't just turn them into love machines. They're still sinful people. They complain against God, who only loves them. They turn against God and worship stupid foreign gods when they know who the one true God is. They focus on themselves rather than on God and living God's love. They sin and they sin and they sin, and God forgives and forgives and forgives. They make the choice over and over again to acknowledge their sinfulness and to turn back to God sincerely, and God forgives them when they turn back. So this has been, for all of the difficulty, an experience of the joy of knowing how much God loves them, and very specifically, how God forgives and forgives and forgives their sin. You would think from 50,000 feet that any Jewish person knowing that experience, that's the fundamental reference point of God's love for any sincere Jewish person. You would think 2,000 years ago when the Son of God becomes a human being, Jesus, and he enters into people's lives, you would think that everybody would get that God is merciful and forgiving. In fact, that turns out not to be the case. When Jesus comes among real human beings who have heard everything we just heard in that first reading, who should know it, many of those people are offended when Jesus spends time over and over again with sinful people. In the gospel reading we just heard, certain religious leaders and probably other people see that Jesus is eating with tax collectors and sinners, all kinds of people who are clearly sinners. People are offended by this. From 50,000 feet, you would say, well, that makes no sense. Why would they be offended? It makes more sense when you realize those people have been raised to understand that if you're a holy person and you spend time with a sinful person, you can be spiritually contaminated by that sinful person. What's an example? Tim Lane, seriously sinful, horrible person right there. I don't want to gossip about him. Tim Lane. If I am a holy person, a godly person, in the view of people at Jesus' time, and I spend time with Tim, Tim, who is a notorious sinner, then I'm going to be polluted by Tim's sinfulness. So that sort of makes a little bit more sense of why people are scandalized by Jesus being with sinners. If he's such a holy guy, why is he with sinful people? It also helps me to remember that these people lived 2,000 years ago. Jesus blows open God's revelation of the truth. These people have a limited understanding of God's truth. And then when I'm honest about myself, it makes sense. Do I wake up every day and every day is my lead reality, God's merciful love? And do I treat every single person I encounter all day with God's merciful love? Right, so then it makes sense to me. These people are really limited just as I am. So Jesus tells a parable that we just heard in Luke 15 to those people and to us to open our minds about God's merciful, forgiving love. 
This parable, even if you have heard this for 85 years, is meant to surprise you because the revelation here of God's love is much greater than any human expectation of love. So in this story, I invite you particularly today to just reread this and to focus on the two primary characters. The first character is the younger son. The younger son personifies us in our sin. The younger son takes from his father the gifts that his father is going to give him. He takes them and he lives them apart from his father. He goes away, away from his father who's a wonderful father, from his father's house, and he goes to a distant land a place that is not a Jewish country, so a place that's even distant from the true God. He wastes all of his father's gifts. And a life of dissipation means a life of wasting the gifts. He experiences hunger. There's a famine in this land. He doesn't have any more money. He has to go out and hire himself out to work. What was the animal group that he works with? With pigs which for Jewish people are an unclean animal. So he, it's a really lousy position to be in. He goes to work for somebody else doing very menial labor with animals that he, by his background, finds unclean. And he's still hungry. He longs to eat the pods, the little hard vegetable things that I can't understand because I didn't grow up in New Hampshire. He longs to eat the pods that the pigs eat, and no one gives him any. Nobody loves him where he is. Nobody loves him where he is. So he hits rock bottom. He personifies us in our sinfulness. He also personifies us when we choose to repent of our sin. Just because he hits rock bottom and he doesn't need a more glorious reason, he realizes, I'm dying of hunger and I want to return to my father's home. He says to himself, I'm going to go back to my father's home. I'm going to tell him that I've sinned against God and I've sinned against my father. I'm going to ask to be readmitted to my father's home, and I'm going to say, I don't have a right to be treated like your son. Please just treat me like one of your hired hands who get enough food to eat. And he does it. He actually gets up, and he does that. I'll come back to that. A key thing, which is very obvious, but not to be missed. He doesn't just think about it. He does it. That is us when we actually repent of our sin and return to God asking for forgiveness. The second main character in that passage is the father. The father, again, should surprise us. For the best human fathers, and some of the best human fathers I know are sitting here right now, the best human father is not always like this. The best human father is limited compared to this father. This is God, our father. The father in the parable has been watching for his son to return. When the son is on his way back, the father catches sight of him long before he gets there because he's been watching for him. When the son, who has been such a horrible sinner, 
comes to the father, the father runs out to greet him. Some of you may remember this. In the ancient Near East, a landowner would never do that. An adult male who's a wealthy landowner would never run out for anyone, including his son. It would be considered undignified. In the parable, this is not a man, this is God the Father. He runs out to greet his sinful son. He puts, has a robe put on him and a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet, meaning that he is totally welcome. He is his son, and he's no longer a slave. He's a free person. That's the sandals. The father then throws a huge celebration. He has the fattened calf, an animal that's virtually never killed. He has the fattened calf slaughtered to have a tremendous feast, the biggest feast he could possibly have. And he explains all this because the son who was dead has come to life again. His son who was lost has been found. He has this enormous celebration and he doesn't change this because anybody finds it offensive. His other son, the older son, finds it offensive. The older son, when he sees that this is going on, hears that it's going on, won't enter into that celebration. The father absolutely cares about him. He goes out. He wants him to come in. He explains to him why this is going on. The older son says, you've never had a party like this for me, and I've been with you all this time. Exactly. He never has, because this is greater. This parallels what Jesus says elsewhere in this chapter of Luke. He repeats to his son, your brother was dead and he's come to life again. He was lost and he's found, he's been found. Jesus says in the other two parables in Luke 15 connected with this, there is more joy in heaven over one repentant sinner than over 99 people who are righteous who have no need of repentance. Surprise? I hope it's surprising. This is who God really is. God the Father and the eternity of heaven rejoice more over one repentant sinner than over everybody else on the planet who's good with God, who has no need of repentance. The son, the sinner who repents, who encounters God the Father with his merciful, forgiving love, this plus this equals joy. That is the most profound experience of union with God that you can have. A repentant sinner who actually returns to God equals joy. That's salvation. I encourage you to just reflect on that truth this week, this Sunday, to get going this week of Lent. Some of you who are about to be baptized at the Easter Vigil, you are going to experience the fullness of that joy because you're all sinners, just like I am, and you're going to encounter through those sacraments the fullness of God's forgiving, reconciling love. Every one of the rest of us, if we're living Lent, that's the goal, to pursue that joy. Final note for those of you who already are baptized and have received the sacraments, 
you either know or should know, the only way we fully know we've experienced that encounter with God's merciful, forgiving love is the sacrament of penance and reconciliation, confession. That is the gift that Jesus gives us so we know we've experienced that on this planet. If you look at that parable, if, if, if any of you right now if you're making the mistake for an understandable or not understandable reason to not experience that sacrament, it's a huge mistake. In that parable, if the son, when he comes to realize, I want to get back into my father's house, said, okay, that's a really good idea. Bring on the food. You would laugh at him. That's ridiculous. He needs to do, get up, go, and have the experience. If the son said, you know, I'm I'm really hungry, I'm dying of hunger, I think I should go back and receive my, get back to my father's house, I'll do that at some point. You would laugh, that's ridiculous, he's gonna die. When I know that God offers me the fullness of this forgiveness in that sacrament, and for whatever reason, I say, yeah, I'll do it later, or I presume, well, that's ridiculous. I encourage you to not miss out on the joy. Rejoice. Thank you for listening. To learn more and to get involved, go to stpatrickparish.com.